Well, we are in the final chapter of 2 Timothy, and I titled this sermon the final chapter because it is also the final chapter of Paul's life. And so we're just going to kind of go through this chapter and see what are, what are the important things that Paul wanted to say, his very last words penned by the Holy Spirit through this man uh, in, in these final days that he had. It reminded me of um, a man who went to a doctor and the doctor told him he only had six months to live and he said, Doc, that's terrible. What should I do? And the doctor said, I recommend that you marry a 600-pound Mennonite woman, move to North Dakota, and raise pigs. He said, Doctor, that'd be a terrible life. And he said, Yes, but it'd be the longest six months you ever lived. (laughs) Well, Paul has even a better message than that to give us today. This is an intense personal appeal for Timothy, his friend, and Timothy's faithfulness to the Lord and to him. And we're going to learn from it today. Let's, let's pray. Father, come now by the power of your Holy Spirit. Jesus, walk up and down these aisles and visit us today. Let your word be made real and let the truth set us free, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to look at three important things for the church to remember that come out of the text today. And when I say church, I don't mean us, church with the little C. You know, we're the church with the little C, a local flock. I mean the church with the big C, the body of Christ across the world. Uh, These are words that are for us certainly, but for all of the body of Christ, and they're so important. And the first is this, pastors are commissioned by God to preach the word. That's one of the key messages that come out of this last chapter of 2 Timothy. Paul says to Timothy, who's a pastor, is what he says to him. I want you to remember what's important, and one of the important things he says is, preach the word of God. Be prepared, whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. The New Century Version kind of breaks it down to more of our modern-day language, and it says, preach the good news. Same passage now, different translation. Be ready at all times and tell people what they need to do. Tell them when they're wrong. Encourage them with great patience and careful teaching. So God's word says to pastors, preach the word. You know, I didn't want to be a a pastor. When I was a little guy, um, after an altar service that we had in church, someone came to me and said, God told me you're going to be a pastor someday. And I tried to be nice, but I really just didn't want that to be true. I didn't want to do that. I was raised in a preacher's home in small churches. There had been some criticism towards my parents, and it was a pretty hard life that my parents, some difficult things they went through. I didn't want to do it. And uh, I'd hoped that it wasn't true. And then later on, my dad told me that he felt the Lord had spoken to him, and then there were a couple other things that happened. About four times words were given to me and never did I want to receive it. But I carried it with me. And when I was about 20 years old, I finally surrendered. I was running from the Lord and the ministry's been so much more fun than I thought it would be. I just thought it'd be terrible. And it's just been a blast. There, there are hard things about it. But one of the things that I, that I did was count the cost of being a preacher. And part of that cost is If you preach the word in its totality, there'll be lots of times that you're not popular. Because this message isn't always delivered, it's not written to just make people feel good. Ultimately, 
it makes people feel good, but initially it can make them uncomfortable if they're on the wrong path. God has called preachers, including me, to preach the full gospel. What's that mean? Well, first of all, we know that it means that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who came to die for the sins of mankind, who was crucified to pay the price as the wrath of God fell on him, risen again to prove that he's the way, the truth, and the life, and he's coming back. That's the gospel. But the whole counsel of the word of God is, 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 is even beyond that. It speaks to us about the way that we should live our lives when we come to Christ with a focus on eternity. And here's one of the things that some people don't like, and laying our treasures up in heaven, our time, our talent, our treasures used for God, not just for our own personal gain in this life, but used for God. And that's not always popular. Hey, I want to tell you last week, you guys gave $5,500 to Portico Church that starts in Portland this Sunday. You're generous. I love that about you. Praise the Lord. You won't be in heaven five minutes before you thank God that Pastor Stan encourages you to give because it all counts for eternity. What we do here on this earth is wood, hay, and stubble that's burned up. What we lay up for treasures in heaven with our time, talent, and treasure stays forever. You talk about an investment plan. There's no better investment plan. This is just 90 short years if we're lucky here on the earth. And eternity, all these things we lay up in heaven as treasures are eternal. And God says in some wonderful way that we lay treasures up in heaven. That's part of the full counsel of God. But there's a full counsel of God concerning the way we should live about sexuality and morality and, and homosexuality. And, and God's way is that a man and woman be united together in marriage and totally committed. And that's where the sexual intimacy takes place between a man and a woman who are committed to one another for life. That's certainly not popular these days, but what's popular isn't necessarily what's right, and what's right isn't necessarily what's popular. A preacher can, if he's not careful, preach to make people happy in the moment, but let them go out there and get beat up by the enemy and by sin because they don't know the boundaries that they're to stay in so that they'll be blessed. And part of preaching that whole gospel is is teaching people how to relate to one another, the kindness that God wants us to have one another, the love in our hearts that we should carry for not only our family, but the church and those in the world. These are all things that must be spoken. The, the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. This is, all these things are the full counsel of God. And if preachers aren't careful, they can skip this. Now you say, well, why would you talk about that here since you're, you're trying to do it, and I certainly am? Well, because you're not all gonna be here forever. Some of you are gonna be called to go to other cities. Some of you will be called to other churches. Some of you will be called into ministry beyond. Some of you will grow up. There are teenagers over here, have their own families and, and live in different parts of the world. And I'm telling you, if you're looking for a church, don't settle until you find a church where they preach the word of God. Until the whole counsel of God is being taught, where there's no fear of man but more of a fear of God, a holy reverence to God that the whole counsel of God might be given to his people that they might be blessed. One of the most misunderstood passages of, of the Bible is Proverbs 29, 18. It's been quoted most often in the King James, which is to say it's this way in the King James, where there's no vision, the people perish. And most, mostly it's used for people to talk about the vision of a ministry. That is totally a, a wrong translation of that passage. Here's a more correct uh, translation where there's no revelation the people cast off restraint but blessed is he who keeps the law see that second part shows you what the focus really is there 
And why should preachers preach the whole word of God? Because where there's no revelation of the truth concerning sexuality and relating to people and the love of God and the truth of God and the gospel, where all that's not happening, people will cast off restraint and just go do whatever. They'll live however they want, not knowing where the boundaries are, separated from God, hurting themselves and hurting others. Another version of the Bible, the New Century Version, in that same verse says this, where there's no word from God, people are uncontrolled but those who obey what they've been taught are happy. You may have heard this, but it's a popular saying through the years for preachers. A preacher preacher should afflict the comfortable and comfort the afflicted. And that's to say, sometimes we get too comfortable in our Christian lives, don't we? And we don't have a focus towards eternity. And we are settling to say, well, God will forgive me. I can treat people any way I want. No, you can't treat people any way you want. God will forgive you, but the consequences of sin will still fall on you even though God has a loving heart towards you. I remember a young man that I visited who threw a a huge rock off a freeway, like a 40-pound boulder off a bridge on I-5. It went through a window and just smashed a lady's face to smithereens. He was playing when he did it. And he found Jesus in that jail that he was at. And he turned his heart to God. But do you know what happened? He went to jail for seven years. God forgave him of his sin, but the consequences fell on him. Well, that's, that's a pretty tragic story, but it's to let you know that God, sure, he's loving and he forgives, but the consequences of sin still fall on us if we choose to be disobedient. And that's why we need the whole counsel of God and we need preachers who'll teach about the love of God, the truth of God, and the balance of the scriptures. The passage goes on to say that, that um, part of that teaching of the word of God, the preaching of the word of God is to correct, rebuke, instruct, and to train. I remember when one of my pastors came to me, Pastor Gallagher, I was having difficulty with another fellow in ministry there, and yeah, it happens in churches and ministries as well. This fellow seemed to tell me um, most often what to do, and he was never my boss as far as I knew, which I just thought was strange. You ever work with anybody like that? And... um, so I tried to get along with him, but I, you know, I, did, I really didn't want to do what he said because he wasn't my boss. Well, my pastor saw this, the head of this ministry, came to me and said, hey, I want you to take him out to lunch and work that out. I said, pastor, I don't have a problem with him. He has a problem with me. He, I'm not going to him telling him anything. He's coming to me and telling me everything to do. He said, yeah, whatever. I want you to take him out to lunch and work it out. So I took him out to lunch. I prayed before I went and I just talked straight up with him and said, look, I really love you and appreciate you, but I don't get this part of what's happened in our relationship. And he talked and we conversed and went back and forth. And before it was over, we prayed, understood one another, never had difficulty again. My pastor was correcting me to say, hey, even though you think it's someone else's fault, you have the power within your hand to heal it. And I want you to, son. And I learned something valuable from my life. And that's the way the word of God is. We may be going another direction and it may not even be terrible sin, but God loves us so much that he would lead us and guide us and the whole counsel of God does that. It leads us and guides us and teaches us to do what is right. And we learn as we're corrected and instructed with the whole counsel of God. There are those who say, well, you know, God doesn't really rebuke people. He's not into that. Well, listen to these sayings, hard sayings from Jesus. He says to a young man who says, which commandments? Jesus replied, Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. It's a pretty good guy because he said, hey, all these I've kept. 
what do I still lack? And Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. And when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus put his finger right on something that was the problem in the guy's life. He wanted these things more than anything else. Jesus will put his, his finger right on the problem in our lives. He's not afraid to confront. He's loving, but he wants to help us. And then he'll even speak of judgment to people. In, in Matthew 11, verse 20, then Jesus began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles had been performed because they did not repent. Did you know repent doesn't mean to recognize what's wrong only. It means to recognize it and then obey, turn and go the other direction. Jesus doesn't like it when the truth is revealed to us and we know what to do, but we won't repent. He doesn't like that because he knows we're, we're about to hurt ourselves by going the wrong direction. And here's what he said to these, these cities that wouldn't repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. And then he says about what we see and know historically as one of the most wicked cities in the world. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. Wow, that's not a mamby-pamby Jesus that we hear so much about in our, in our world these days. But this is the truth. These, these are the words of God. This is the full counsel of God. And, and Jesus will speak of judgment. Recently, someone uh, confronted me in an email about some truth that I had shared, and, and, and they didn't like it. And uh, they didn't like the thought of someone who lived in a certain lifestyle uh, needed to, if, if you lived a lifestyle of sin, you, that you'd be lost for eternity. They didn't think I should make any judgments about people going to hell. Well, first of all, I heard, I heard this and I believe it. When you get to heaven, there are three things that surprise you. One, the people who were there that you thought wouldn't be. Two, the people who you thought would that aren't. And three, that you're there. They'll, those will all be big, those will all be really pleasant surprises for all of us. So look, I can't judge who's going to heaven. I don't know. But I know this, I am commissioned by God to preach the word. And the word says that if we willfully, continually live lifestyles of sin and deliberately, that we're truly not walking with God and we can't kid ourselves and we'll be lost for eternity. I don't make the judgment of who's in or out, but I preach the word according to the way Jesus said it. And Jesus said, judgment will come. Part of love is judgment. There's justice there. And, and, and love will warn somebody what's ahead rather than make them feel comfortable in the moment for the sake of relationship. If I love someone, I might confront them to keep them from getting hit by a truck if they walk across this road. If I love someone, I won't, and I know where a rattlesnake is residing at this very moment, I'm not going to let them walk that way without a little bit of a struggle. And, and so... The, the, the truth is all these things, and I think it's worth noting as well, as we talk about the whole counsel of God, the, the, the gospel that saves, the, the truth that, that keeps us and blesses us. And, and then there's a word here when, about preaching as well, where it says, do the work of an evangelist. And I think that's worth noting uh, for just a moment. Let's talk about that in the passage. At the heart of every pastor and at the forefront in every church, God wants a concerted and strong emphasis on winning the lost to Jesus Christ. He says to pastors, now I know this is written to Timothy, but it's the heart God wants for every pastor. That's one of the principles of the Bible that you can know. It may not have been written to you, but it's certainly written for you. And, and so here we have this word to pastors, do the work of an evangelist. Help people come to Jesus. That word in the, 
in the Greek means to, uh, to preach the word means to boldly proclaim. And it has attached to it the thought of not only a bold declaration, but a public bold declaration. So that means in settings like this, that I and other preachers are to publicly and boldly proclaim the truth about Jesus Christ that sets others free. But he said, be ready, uh, instant in season and out, ready at all times, one of the passages said here. That means not only here, but in another setting I might be in. Another place that the Lord would speak to me and say, here and now, I have to go. Now that's true for all of us, but it's especially true for pastors. To, to, you, you're not just on and off when you get in the pulpit. You're on with the gospel and you, you have to share it and it'll, it'll set people free. Now, if you go to a church where there's no emphasis or opportunity for people to come to Jesus, I would encourage you to reconsider your stay. You know, someday you'll be out there. We won't always be together in this setting. And one of the things you should always look for when you're looking for a church is, is, is a church where they preach the word, but a church where there's a heart to win souls. And that means that they preach Jesus crucified, risen, and coming again. These are things that are so important to God that he said to his servants, preach the word, do the work of an evangelist. Romans 10, 15 says, and how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. I really like that scripture and I'll tell you why. I might have the ugliest feet in the universe. It's even, if, even alien feet, if there's any out there. Uh, I don't think there are, but some people do. Uh, but, but I have big, wide, hairy feet that ugly toenails I mean one of them was stood up like a hood on a car my brother opened the door on it you know and it never grew back right and I cover them I usually don't go out in public to 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 make the rest of you throw up or anything like that you know I usually cover them when I'm out there with my with my shorts on but it's so good to know that somebody thinks my feet are beautiful and it's the Lord when I bring good news and he feels that way about all of his servants who share the truth now, I've been in settings where people didn't like it when I, when I spoke about Jesus Christ. In public settings beyond the church. But I've noticed that every time I bring it in those settings, people get saved at alarming rates. Because they've heard all this stuff from the mass media out there about what Christians are and about Christ, but they don't even know the truth. And when they hear the truth, did you know this is why we, a preacher has to share this, preach the word in truth and share the gospel is it's attended by the Holy Spirit, this message. You can't make people do this stuff. And when this comes forward, it's the very heart of God. When it's spoken, the Holy Spirit will take it to the heart of an individual and reveal to them and in their spirit, this is true, come to me. And so I've learned that, hey, this, this gospel takes care of itself. I'm, just de- I'm supposed to declare it and get it out there with love, with grace, and with truth. But when I do, the rest is up to him. And he takes care of his business. God does with his Holy Spirit when that happens. So preach the word. That's what God wants the church to know. And it's an important message that Paul was sharing with the servant Timothy in Paul's last days, just weeks before he died, potentially here. Here's another thought that comes from the scripture. I'm, I'm just gonna capsulize it as this. Be a faithful friend to others. I see that in this passage. 2 Timothy 4.9, I, I wanna contrast to you two people that had been Paul's friends here. 
The first is Timothy. Timothy, please come as soon as you can. Timothy had been with him 15 years, traveling across the different countries, sharing the word, a faithful friend. And then there was another fellow named Demas. Not too many people name their child Demas. Here's why. Uh, Demas has deserted me. We hear of Demas three times in the scriptures. It goes on to say, because he loves the things of this life more. Did you know, what are, what are the things of life that could pull you away from the important things of, of eternity? What's really important in life? Well, it can be entertainment of any sort. It could be the pursuit of money. I don't know exactly what was happening in Demas' life. I know this, he chose not to go the route to be the faithful friend and do the work of the Lord with Paul, and he chose to go do something on his own that God wasn't pleased with. He's mentioned three times in the scriptures. The first time, Demas is mentioned along with Mark and Luke as a fellow laborer in Philemon, the book of Philemon. That's pretty good company. Writers of the, uh, of the gospels, apostles. And then later in Colossians 4, Demas is mentioned as, hey, Demas was there and he says hello. So it's, it's kind of scaled down a little bit. It's just, it's just Demas the second time. And then the third time is right here, Demas has deserted me. Paul is saying to one who's with him, come to me, my friend. I need you. And then he says about another one who was once his friend, he has deserted me. Now, I think this is a good question for all of us. I think it'd be good to ask ourselves, what kind of friend am I? All of us want friends. Do you know the Bible says if you want friends, you should show yourself to be friendly? And, and, and you know, it's, it's just kind of weird to me when people say, I, nobody shook my hand or talked to me. I just want to say, did you shake anybody's hand and talk to them? Because if you want to have friends, show yourself to be friendly. And we all want people to be nice to us and we want our friends to be there for us. But are we the kind of friend that will be there in the darkest moments of our friends' lives? Will we pull off of the busy things we're doing and everything we're doing and be there for a friend? Now, I'm, I'm really, I really want our people in this church to be taken care of. Shepherds are supposed to watch over the flock and they're supposed to care for the flock. But I'm here to tell you that pastors and shepherds can never truly take the place of friends. And when it's happening best in this church, we'll be there. I mean, wouldn't it have been, it'd been cool for Paul to, to get a visit from a local pastor, right? But it wouldn't be the same as Timothy showing up, would it? He wants Timothy. Because they had walked together. They'd been through life. They loved each other. They were there for one another. And Jesus had the 12 that were with him. And those are the ones he was closest to. And he lost one of those too. I think it's hard for us to have more than 12 people who are really close as friends. Because we're, we're like Legos. We only have so many connectors and then we're full, you know. And we can be nice to people, but there's no more space there. That's not a general rule, just a thought. But when it's working best in this church and in the body of Christ, you know, people that are your friends will be there for you and you will be there for your friends in their hard and their dark moments. Timothy, if you read that passage, and I don't have time to go through every word of it today, but you'll, you'll see that there were a number of his friends that weren't there in his hardest moment. He was on trial. And when he went before the judge, the people that were there to support him or could have been there didn't show. He had one guy with him. 
And yet he doesn't seem bitter, praise the Lord. He said, the Lord stood with me and he always will if you feel lonely, the Lord will stand with you. But I believe the Lord wants your friends to be there beside you too. What kind of friend am I? Am I there when others need me? Or is my friendship about what I get out of this relationship, not about giving? It's interesting, I I believe there are at least 100 different men and women mentioned in Acts and in the letters of Paul that were his friends. 100 different people. This is a guy that pulled friends in and equipped people and loved people and people loved him. He had a number of healthy relationships. He shared the greatness of the work. And he had many who were for him, but he had those who were against him too. There's a fellow named Alexander that's mentioned there. Now this, this Demas just took off and wasn't there and absent and that was sad enough. Alexander, his name is mentioned as one who did Paul much harm. Priscilla and Aquila are mentioned as well in verse 19. They were a husband and wife team that assisted Paul in many, many ways through, through ministry, but they, they were assisting Timothy at the moment the letter was written in Ephesus. They were with Timothy ministry. So they, they, they were good friends. And the Bible says this in Proverbs 18, 24, and we see both these kinds of friends in this passage. There are friends who destroy each other. There's the Demas and the Alexander who caused pain because of absence and criticism. I don't know what Alexander did, but it, was, it caused a lot of harm. Some people, some scholars think Alexander uh, testified against Paul rather than for him. There are friends who destroy each other, but a real friend sticks closer than a brother. God wants us to be there for our friends in their darkest hour. Are we like Timothy or are we like Demas? Years ago, um, I had a friend named Chris Davis. Chris and I were roommates in college at George Fox. We played on the baseball team together. He was the shortstop and I was the center fielder. We loved each other. This guy was so funny and so fun. He could make anything funny. I don't know if I've ever met anyone as funny as him. But he loved Jesus and he was sold out to God. While he was in college, he was ministering um, with Youth for Christ at the local campuses. He went to seminary. He was a scholar. And um, shortly after that, took a job in Portland as a college pastor and was writing a a book, prepared to write a book, a co-author a book with Tony Campolo. He was on the rise fast. He married a young lady named Diane Davis from George Fox, who is an all-American volleyball and basketball player. Beautiful lady who loved the Lord. Chris was stricken with multiple sclerosis, a very severe case. And Diane went to counseling with him to prepare for his death because they told him he didn't have more than a year and a half left. To make matters worse, Diane was training for a triathlon in the hills of Newburgh and she crested a hill and a drunk driver in a pickup truck hit her and killed her. So as they were preparing for his death, and she was learning how she was gonna cope without him, he found himself coping without her before he died. 
it was, it was a sad, sad deal. And listen, this is one of my best friends in life. This is one of the closest three that I've ever been to. When Chris had his worst moments, three of the buddies got together and said, look, let's go together every week to see him. So baseball buddies showed up every week in Newburgh. I'm gonna tell you, it took time. I didn't have the time. I was a district youth director for the Assemblies of God, traveling all over the place, driving about 40,000 miles a year. I didn't have the time, but I took the time. And every time we went, we laughed together, and the one who made us laugh the most was Chris. As we came to the latter stages of his life, and we prayed, we wanted God to heal him, and all I can tell you is God didn't. We had as much faith as we could have. He had to talk through a mechanism where he used his fingers because he lost the ability to verbalize with the disease. Then eventually he would use his chin and his mother told me once, one of the last times we came, that he had taken over two hours to compose a message for us with that device. He'd done it with his chin and the message was, how are you George Fox Bozos doing today? (laughs) I loved Chris Davis. I thought I was going to bless Chris in those days. But what I found out is Chris blessed me way more. I will never be sorry that I went to my friend, that I was there with him in the end. But I would have been sorry if I had. Now, I don't always do everything right. I'm not trying to elevate myself, but here's a thought for us. When our friends are in their darkest hours, are we there for them? When somebody we love goes through a divorce, will we care enough to show up? You know, sometimes we, we just, it's so uncomfortable, we don't know what to do and we just don't show up. That's the worst thing we could do is not show up. Because they think now I've made mistakes, my life's not pretty like everybody wanted it to be and they don't wanna be with me anymore. God help us to be there. Timothy was the kind of friend that was there. Demas was not. 1 Peter 1.22 shares this heart that God wants us to have for one another. You were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. So now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all of your heart. God help us to be faithful friends. It's the way he wants it to go. It's what he's willed in his word. We don't have to be alone. Here's a third thought for you, and I'm gonna capsulize this with the thought of, uh, I think it's healthy for, for the church to hear. Ministers are people too. Look at this. Uh, some people have called him the, the Lion of God, this, this man who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Not afraid of anybody or anything, yet had great love and with boldness would proclaim this truth of the love of God. And yet he's in a dungeon just weeks before, maybe months before he died. We don't know if Timothy was able to get to him. But listen to his heart, and I want you to see that the greatest men and women of God, they're they're people, they're human. 
Do your best to come to me quickly, he says to Timothy. In verse nine. In verse 13, when you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas. He's cold. He's cold and alone in a dungeon and a dark prison when all he'd ever done was give and love and help people. And then, I don't know why, but this one gets me. It just, this, this, this terminology, do your best to get here before winter. Do you know winter comes in our lives? I think it comes in two ways. There's a winter that's just a hard season that we're going through. And then there's a winter that is the, the winter of a life, the end of our lives. Paul was in both of those. One of the hardest moments, he's about to die, and he's, he's, near, he's older now, near the end. Come before winter, he said that because the ships <clears throat> would have to be in port during the winter because it was too dangerous to sail on the waters. And he was saying to Timothy, if you wait too long, you'll miss your opportunity. Did you know with our friends and, 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 and with those that God would call us to uh, that, that we might miss the opportunity if we wait too long? I can't tell you what those last few months meant to me in my life of an eternal perspective, just watching my friend go through that watching the courage that he had. And we, we could miss the opportunity to bless them as well as be blessed. But let's, let's talk about ministers for just a moment. When I say ministers are people too, this is the guy that is just feeling the emotion. And when I say ministers, I don't mean just pastors, but let's, let's remember that Paul's an apostle, an evangelist, and a missionary. So, you know, those are ministers. But, but pastors, elders, teachers, uh, those in spiritual authority who carry uh, weight and, and a burden of, of the work of God, the ministry of God, so often they're criticized at the worst time. And it's like people don't know they have feelings. I, it never ceases to amaze me that some people will say something critical to a leader, a, a servant of the Lord, that they would never share with, with someone else but they feel like they're gonna set this leader straight and help them. Listen, honest to goodness, there is no problem anywhere in this church right now. Nobody's pressing me, nobody's you know, after me, there's no, there's no criticism that I know of. So this is not about that. Let me tell you what this is about. I have two kids in, in my home. Aaron's 21, Candace is 18. One of the most important things in life I tried to teach them is to honor authority, to honor and respect authority. Now here's why I wanted my kids to know that. My dad taught it to me. It's been one of the things that has has blessed me most in life. It's a scriptural principle. But I want my kids to have success in life. Did you know that the people that don't honor and respect authority have trouble? All through life they have trouble. Now, they may like the feeling when they come against them, you know, because it is an adrenaline rush there. And they may like to tell people about what they did and that could be fun for them. But life doesn't go well for them. They have trouble. And so I, I said that to say this to you. If I care about my kids enough to teach them to honor and respect authority, don't you think as your pastor I should care enough about you to tell you? God establishes spiritual authorities. Pastors, elders, teachers, apostles, evangelists, missionaries. And we need to be careful with the way we treat them. Hebrews 13, 17 says it this way about these spiritual leaders. These with spiritual authority. Their work is to watch over your souls. 
and they are accountable to God. Give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. That would certainly not be for your benefit. When I say ministers are people too, did you know, I mean, I've dealt with some of the pastors around here periodically through time when someone says something harsh about them and they hurt. The pastor's hurt. Just like you would hurt if a pastor said that about you. Or a teacher. Or a leader. And I want you to be blessed. I want them to be blessed. And I'm saying to the church, as Papa today, I turned 50, so I can be Papa now. (laughs) Ministers are people too. Love them. Bless them. And here's just a general rule in God's word. Be nice. Just be nice. First Timothy 5.17, the elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor. I'm, I'm not sure I know what double honor is. That's debated among scholars. But I know this. It's more than single honor. It's more than the normal type of honor. It's double honor. Now, I'm not saying you can't confront a spiritual leader. I believe that's appropriate. If people are in sin, they sh- you, should, you should leave. If, if you involved and you see some, somebody walking in sin and obstinate and calls himself a leader, there, there is, there's abuse out there. I know that. There are people who do things wrong. But listen to this now. I'll categorize it a little bit. If it's a judgment call or a difference of opinion, would you be careful, please? God will lead the leaders of a class, the leaders of a ministry, the leaders of the church in such a way as to direct them for the good of the whole in a way that he wouldn't to other individuals in the church. He speaks uniquely and directly to them about what he's given them to do the way he speaks to you about what he's given you to do at work and in other places for the good of the collective whole. Now, that's not to say that someone can't speak into that with a word that brings balance and perspective, because people can. But be careful when it comes to judgment or difference of opinion. That's ground that you really ought to tread carefully on and not come against leaders in a direct way. Well, let me, let me say this. I want to help you now. I'm trying to help you. I don't know of anything. I'm just going to say that again. I really don't. But I want to help you. Don't confront spiritual leaders publicly. Not unless you've talked to them privately. And here's how it works. If you look at Matthew 18, 15, it's not on the screen for you, but it's in there. The Bible says if you have a problem with someone, to go to them personally. You should not talk to anyone else. You should talk to them. Then if they don't listen, the Bible says, and it's not just spiritual leaders, but all believers, this works in all relationships, if they don't listen to you, they've sinned against you and they're not listening, don't go if they haven't sinned against you. This is a sinned against you category and that tells you you probably shouldn't be making the criticism if they haven't sinned against you. But go to them first and then if they, if they don't listen, take a couple people along with you and go again. And then if they don't listen, bring the church in to help with discipline. So that, I mean, when you read Matthew 18 through 15, read that passage. That's really the way we ought to operate. That's Jesus speaking about how it's to be done. Well, it says, worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching 
and teaching. Ministers are people too. I know a few good men and women that have quit because they got hurt. They got wounded. People didn't care about them. I don't ever want to be with one of those that's responsible for hurting God's servants. I really, I really don't. How about this last season of life? We've talked about the hard seasons of life, but let's talk about the last season of life now. Recently, I went to visit an old preacher. He just turned 90. His name's Al Davis. Al is an incredible man. He was a district super, assistant superintendent for the Sons of God, but he was pastor at Dallas, Oregon for around 30 years, I believe. And, and just a couple weeks ago, I went to see him just because I love him. He's just the coolest guy. And he can't drive anymore. His license is taken away. Might be a good thing because the only problem Al Davis ever had was he liked hot cars and would travel way too fast all the time. <laughs> that was his biggest problem. But he was a loving man of God who taught the word, who was there. He traveled this state encouraging preachers as assistant soup. And that church in Dallas, Oregon that's there, I think it's Valley Life Center now, what they call it. Uh, Al was the pastor that started with 100 or so, took it to over 400, built a new facility, lives were changed, just an amazing life. And he's sitting in Dallas, Oregon with his wonderful wife over there and nobody gets to glean from that richness anymore. Let me talk about senior citizens for just a moment because now we're talking about the winter season of life. And this is one of those things which won't come up very much, but this culture that we live in in America does not honor age, and we should, according to the Bible. There's a crown of wisdom, the gray hair. That's what the Bible says. I went to see Al Davis, and I just found myself when I was with him just kind of pouring my heart out. And he started speaking back to me. It just felt prophetic. And then he started ministering to me. Again, I went to bless Al, and Al blessed me. And I'm gonna sit with him some more, I decided. But how many people are in their 80s? And not only do people not come and sit with them because they're lonely, but nobody's gleaning from the amazing wisdom. It really is possible to have your best friend be over 80, even when you're 30. It's really possible. God can knit hearts together and God can use people who've been through it to minister to you, to care for you. And I'm making an appeal to you today. Would you go to those that are in the winter season of their life and sit with them? Love them and let them love you back. Your life will be richer if you do. Matthew 10, 41, anyone who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. He's talking about men and women of God. You treat them well, God blesses you. And anyone who receives a righteous man because he is righteous will receive a righteous man's reward. And those who went to sit with Paul, I promise you they were blessed. So now it's coming to a conclusion. The final chapter 30 years of remarkable ministry coming to an end here. 
He's just about to feel the thud of the executioner's axe. But he impacted lives. Timothy and other devoted believers were gonna carry on the work. We today read the gospels and then we read the writings of Paul, the scriptures, holy scriptures penned to the, the man that was in that dungeon. And we're blessed and we're spurred on to love and good deeds. I like what John Wesley said. He said, God buries his workmen, but his work goes on. And then I think, I think it's fitting to end this book with, with this final declaration from Paul, an example of how we should spend our lives all out for Jesus. He says this, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race and I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. You know what I love about that? Paul didn't let them take his life. He gave it. He gave his life to Jesus. He willingly died for Christ. He was willing to do it from the start and he proved it because he did it. And so much has happened. God help us to take these principles that are in the word, these things that Paul's life and, and, and the writings that he's given us penned by the Holy Spirit and apply them because when we do, we're gonna be incredibly blessed.